Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Divorced Girl Smiling Podcast. My name is Jackie Pilisoff, and I'm your host. I'm the founder of Divorced Girl Smiling, the company that connects people facing divorce with trusted, vetted divorce professionals. We're also a podcast, a website, a mobile app, and I offer the free consult. Before we get started, I want to take a minute and recommend a wonderful product. It's an alcohol monitoring device called Soberlink. So as parents, we often have gut feelings when something just isn't right. And this can be especially true in co-parenting arrangements where one parent is struggling with an addiction. If you're co-parenting with an ex-spouse who abuses alcohol, Soberlink can help. Soberlink's alcohol monitoring system is the most convenient, reliable, and reasonable way for a parent to provide evidence that they're not drinking during parenting time. The system's real-time alerts, facial recognition, and tamper detection ensure the integrity of each test so you can be confident your kids are with a sober parent. With Soberlink, judges rest assured that your child is safe, Attorneys get court-admissible evidence of sobriety, and your kids are able to maintain healthy relationships with both parents. If you want to sign up for Soberlink and you want to get $50 off your device, visit Soberlink.com DGS. So DGS is for Divorce Girl Smiling. That's how you get the 50 off. Soberlink.com DGS. So divorce is complicated, but there's a whole other level of the divorce getting complicated when somebody is a corporate executive. The finances get complicated. There are company perks. There are 401ks and all kinds of things that come into play when somebody is an executive at a company. And I want to talk about that today. I want to offer tips for executives in a company where people are getting divorced. And to do this, I have one of my favorites, divorce attorney, Tiffany Hughes. Hi, Tiffany. Hi, Jackie. Hello, everyone. Always great to have you on the podcast. And by the way, it's just been way too long since our last ones. So nice to see you again, Tiffany. I want to tell my listeners a little bit about you if they haven't heard one of our podcasts in the past. Tiffany is a divorce attorney. She's the managing partner of the law office of Tiffany M. Hughes in Chicago. Tiffany's been a divorce attorney for 12 years and just great to see you, Tiffany. Thank you, Jackie. It's great to be here as always. Thank you for having me on and I'm looking forward to... um, providing some tips and information to everybody today about uh, executives and getting divorced. So do you have a lot of cases where people are corporate executives? Yes. um, A lot of executives um, that are, you know, and I'm talking some of the bigger ones I've represented. So tell me what some of the reasons are that you see executives getting divorced. I mean, of course, there's going to be cheating, um, addiction, you know, the same reason anybody would get divorced, um, not getting along, growing apart. But tell me, are there other reasons that you see executives getting divorced? 
I mean, I think that with any profession where somebody is working a significant amount of hours and isn't having a work-life balance, um, it leads to issues at home and it leads to resentments and relationships of like feeling as though the other partner or spouse is not, you know, contributing to the household duties. I mean, assuming, and you know, it's dangerous to assume, but assuming, you know, most executives are, are probably the breadwinners of the family. So they believe that they're contributing by that way monetarily, but um, when they get home, they feel like they don't need to be helping around the house and doing things. So it's work-life balance. It's um, built up resentments between them. It absolutely, the things you just said, it, adultery, um, you know, sometimes there's issues with finances, even though people make a lot of money, doesn't mean that they manage their finances correctly. So that's still at issue. Um, a lot of times it's not being home enough. So it's a lot of travel. A lot of executives do travel for work. And so they're not even home really at all. And that's another issue. So it's kind of all the things, if that makes sense. So the the picture I have in my head is when people get to a level where they're high up in the company and they're paying you for that and you're making hundreds of thousands of dollars or more per year, they're paying you to do that. So they expect you to make it your life. So so here's the picture I'm seeing. The executive is always traveling or always at the office. They're working 15-hour days. The wife is staying home. The wife, because she doesn't have to work. So maybe she volunteers or does something else. And that's not a slight against her. Okay, no. then... He's never around. So she has all this money, but she's feeling really empty because he's never there for her or the kids. Then she doesn't feel like he's doing anything because when someone gets home from a 16 hour day, they don't want to take the dog out, play with the kids, give the kids baths. They're, they're just exhausted. So I'm not saying anybody's doing anything right or wrong here, but I understand what the picture is and why it might be different from somebody who just has like a nine to five job. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of the nature of the beast, right? I mean, you, you get all of these benefits because you're essentially, you know, in a nice way, selling your soul, right. For this job. And so when you do that, um, there are expectations for, by your employer that essentially you are going to be available and, do what they need you to do and whatever that means, whether it's traveling 16 hour days, 18 hour days. And usually that's a discussion that um, spouses will have with one another, but sometimes it just evolves over time and they don't have those discussions. And then, or even if they do, and it, at one point it was okay. And years later, they're like, I can't do this anymore. And they've unintentionally um, built up resentments. Uh, with the other, you right. know, and unfortunately these things happen. And if you're not communicating and working through the issues as they arise before they get to the level of complete chaos, right. Or like, I like to call verbal diarrhea, pent up, pent up, pent up, pent up. All of a sudden it comes out, you know, it, it's not uncommon to, you know, have an executive going through a divorce or even the wife 
um, you know, having another relationship on the side when the husband's gone, you know, 300 days out of the year traveling, you know, so. Absolutely. It, it's so sad, but you're right. And as my dad used to say, everything has a price. And so what you've agreed to by being a corporate executive is, yes, you get all these benefits and money and prestige and, you know, all these perks that come with this, but your family life is going to suffer. And I've even heard like, even your health might suffer because you don't have time to go to the doctor. You put it off. You're stressed. You have all this other stress. Let's move on to tips for executives who are getting divorced. And I want to tell my listeners, Tiffany wrote an article on Divorce Girl Smiling that you can read if you'd like, but we're just going to elaborate on a lot of these things that you wrote about Tiffany. So the first is plan ahead. And that means get a prenuptial or a postnuptial agreement. So tell me about that. Yeah. And let me just say, I mean, my article is directed toward tips for executives getting divorced. This could easily go either way, other than the direct contact with an employer. What I mean direct, you know, could go other ways. This could be easily a list in, of, of tips for the other non-executive spouse in some respects. So just so that the listeners know that this may pertain to you, even if you're not an executive, and kind of generally this pertains to um, individuals that may be having issues in their marriage um, to try to prepare and avoid for divorce, if that makes sense. Very, very good point. Not just for the executives, but also for the spouse and for other people and for people who are considering getting divorced. All right. Yeah. So if somebody's reading this and they're already getting divorced, they're thinking, well, too late to get a prenup, but you can get a postnup. It's just a great way to agree with your partner um, before marriage and before a divorce in hopes that a lot of the things, if you can agree upon it with a uh, clear head of sorts before going through a divorce and then litigating everything. So it's a great way to do that if you can. Some people can't, some people get offended. There's all these different stigmas socially, you know, so it's, but if people really honestly wanted to know the truth, the truth is put the stigmas aside and do these things because they're beneficial for you. You know what I love about prenups and postnups? If you get one of these, you are in your marriage for the love and happiness of being in the marriage because you already know what's going to happen if you get divorced. So you are staying in the marriage out of love and commitment and happiness. And if you don't have one, you might be staying in the marriage because you're afraid because you don't know what's going to happen. And what Tiffany is saying by having a prenup or a postnup is that it's like you already know what happens. So you can you can just stay for the love of it or leave if you're not happy. It's really kind of quite self-gratifying because you're like, okay, this is mine. This is yours. We're going to say that this is ours together. Um, but in the event that it doesn't work, we've got this all laid out and we don't need to worry about that. And, and that's a significant 
uh, worry that you're eliminating that a lot of people, you know, a lot of people don't get divorced because they don't know what's going to happen and what am I going to be able to live in this house and am I going to have enough money to stay here and what is he going to pay me? Is he going to screw me out of this? And it's like, you have it all right there. And this was, this agreement was done before you guys started to resent or hate one another. So, you know, it's, it's really, truly great if you can work it out. You're listening to the Divorced Girl Smiling Podcast. My name is Jackie Pilisoff, and I'm your host. I'm here today with divorce attorney Tiffany Hughes. And Tiffany and I are talking tips for executives in a company who are getting divorced. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we have lots more amazing tips. We'll be right back. I want to take a minute and mention two Divorced Girls Smiling trusted professionals who I think you're really going to want to know about. The first one is therapist Brittany Baker, who is an LCSW. She works with couples, adults, and teens during hard, stressful times, including divorce. I actually met Brittany through someone I trust so much who has referred several clients to her. And as I've gotten to know Brittany, I just think she is wonderful. So committed to the profession. She brings years of experience and her practice is called Nix Baker Wellness and Therapy. She uses an eclectic, innovative approach aimed to help you breathe more deeply, enjoy parenting time more, and improve your relationships with family and friends. If you want to find Brittany, she can be found in the Trusted Professional section of Divorced Girl Smiling or at nixbakerwellness.com. And Nix is N-I-X. I also want to talk about divorce coach and life strategist Michelle Heffron. So when you're going through a divorce, Fear, doubt, and self-sabotage are three things that divorcing women are prone to. And Michelle is wonderful. She has decades of experience serving in executive leadership roles in both the corporate and nonprofit sectors. She decided to become a divorce and life coach. She is divorced. And Michelle is just so warm and compassionate and so committed to helping people figure out what's next. What is your life going to look like after divorce and what is truly going to make you happy? If you want to find Michelle, of course, you can find her in the Trusted Professional section of Divorced Girl Smiling. And you can also find her at michelleheffron.com. And it's M-I-C-H-E-L-E and then Heffron. Com. Welcome back to the Divorced Girl Smiling Podcast. My name is Jackie Pillisoff, and I'm your host. Today, I'm here with Tiffany Hughes. Tiffany is a divorce attorney in Chicago. She's been a divorce attorney for 12 years. She handles a lot of high net worth divorce and also a lot of divorces for corporate executives. And we are talking tips for executives and their spouses when you're going through a divorce. Tip number two, speak with HR or payroll in regards to complex compensation plans. What does that mean? So this is definitely for the executive, not the spouse of an executive, because they wouldn't have this information. Um, but what you want to do is there is a Usually you have obviously a base salary, but an executive's pay can 
be comprised of a series of what we call additional compensation, which could be and includes, but is not limited to deferred compensation, just like it sounds, compensation that's deferred over time. You also have what's called restricted stock units, which we call RSUs, which are again, compensation that are is given for past performance or continued employment or for other reasons, but those are the two big ones. Um, and so based on, you know, you've, in addition, you have bonuses, you have, you know, uh, some of them have commission-based structures, depending on the kind of executive and the business that they're in. Um, so it's just important to know and to get a good understanding of what your compensation package really looks like. And sometimes changes are made, like, for example, restricted stock units vest, deferred compensation can also vest. When does it vest? What is it the vesting dependent on? Um, and just having all of that to be something that you have knowledge of so that you can provide that to your attorney. And how does it end up making a difference? Well, the thing is, is a lot of people don't realize, for one, let me back up. They don't realize what the definition of non-marital and marital property means. So when I go through the basics, what I call divorce 101, once a client has retained me, I give them a little bit of an education course of what this looks like when I mention things like marital and non-marital funds, what that means, just so we're on the same page going forward when we discuss or have, you know, emails or et cetera, et cetera, with like certain verbiage. So once I go through all of that, you know, if you have compensation that you has been given to you, but has not yet been earned, what does that mean for you? Does that mean that your spouse could have access to it? Um, if there's certain benefits that, you know, were awarded based on your performance during the marriage, um, does that mean that he or she has a, a stake or a right to that? So it's just important to know what is going to be deemed a marital asset. That's what you're really looking at and understanding. Tip number three, disclose all assets and debts and don't hide money. People think that with part of their compensation that they don't have to disclose certain aspects of it um, because in turn, it's more, it's not going to show up on a pay stub and it's not going to show up in a, you know, in an employment agreement. And it's more so something that they got from HR that the only way that the spouse would know is if they shared the document that referenced the compensation or the benefits. Or they start liquidating accounts, um, trying to avoid having certain assets included as a marital asset. Like, and you just, I mean, at the end of the day, that's it, it's going to cost you so much money. You're going to lose uh, any and all credibility that you have with the judge, and you're likely going to be sanctioned. Um, so it's never a good idea, ever. And you're going to look so bad, and they're going to find it anyway. Yeah. They're just <laughs> going to issue a subpoena right to your employer and get your entire file of any and all things related to you. And, you know, it'll be in there. And some of them hope that their employer would lie <laughs> and not disclose. And it's like, 
you know, now you're, you're, you know, you're looking at perjuring yourself and the company perjuring themselves and sanctions. I mean, all over what dividing up a, a marital asset, you know, unfortunately you got married, um, or fortunately, uh, depending on the time, <laughs> um, and or the kids, you're right. Yeah. I mean, and this is, this is part of it. I mean, this is what you signed up for and you earn the money. And if that money is marital, then, you know, the law says that there has to be an equitable division. Number four, keep organized business records. Yeah. So this goes to executives in addition to the big fortune 500 companies and the executives that I've, I've represented, I've also represented a lot of um, executives that owned their own companies. Um, and so it's important when you're owning, you're in, owning and running your own company that you have records of the business and, you know, whether how you keep the records, whether it's QuickBooks or whether it's, you know, whatever Quicken or whatever other ones that are out there. Um, you need to have meticulous records of your expenses, of your business expenses, of your business assets. And something that's important um, also, and not just for executives, but also for the executive of a spouse. When you get the documents from the spending, a lot of people like to say that a business expense that everything is a business expense. But when you run a business, your business expenses should be very separate and apart from your personal expenses. And you run into a huge problem for an executive when they say that their income is, let's say, a base of 100000 but they're using their business card to pay for all of their personal expenses, which are not true business expenses. All right. Now I'm someone who's worked for a big corporation and I also have my own business now. So when we're saying keep organized, I think, tell me if I'm right, Tiffany, but if you work for a big company, you don't really have to worry about it because they keep everything really organized. This is for if you have your own business. Correct. Yeah. This is if you have your own, if you're running, owning and operating your own business, or if you're the owner and you're not operating it and you're just you know, you're just running it, right? Mm -hmm. um, you might have a, a manager, somebody who actually does the day-to-day, -day, you oversee it. doesn't matter. If you're the owner of the company, you have to keep these records and you have to make sure that your business is very separate and apart from your personal. And again, this is something that anybody, a spouse or an executive um, should be looking at if they are about to go through a divorce or are going through a divorce? Number six, work-life balance going forward. So did you put this tip in here because you're trying to help people for the future? Obviously, if you didn't have a work-life balance, um, you now are going to be partially responsible, depending on the agreement or whatever is ordered by the judge as it relates to your children. And you're going to have to shift the way that your life is. Things are going to change. You, whether you, whether an executive wants to admit it or not, um, they have been relying on the other spouse to handle probably 
the majority of the household um, work. And now you're not going to have that person. And you're going to need to make the time for your children that you probably didn't make before. And, and generally, just overall, things are going to change. And I think that it's, I think it's very important for executives to think about that and to get ready to plan for that. If they if they don't already see and recognize that that they haven't been as present as they should be, that now with this divorce, that it should be kind of a, a wake-up call uh, in a sense that it's time to make time and make more of a priority for your children. And you might be really pleasantly surprised and love it and think, wow, it's so sad that it took a divorce to make me really get into my kids' lives and really be the kind of dad I want to be or mom. Right. Definitely. And, and I think that, you know, I think a lot of employers nowadays, you know, they're working with executives and, and non-executives to ensure that they have time with their family. And I, and maybe it's just, maybe at this point in their career, they are able to make more of a shift in their schedule to where they can travel a little bit less, just making some concessions to make more time for the kids. Because I'll tell you this, and this isn't only with executives. I hear this from colleagues of mine that say, Tiffany, don't be like me when you have children, because I missed out on my children's lives completely because all I did was work. And I regret that every single day. And now that I'm older, I can't go back and I can't change it. So, you know, you only have one shot at this. And if you can, and you truly want to make the time, I, I think that it's, it's, it's doable in some sense, maybe not as much as others that work nine to five, clearly, but you can make some changes and some shifts to make this work. And that's so interesting because I'm someone who stayed home with my kids for several years and regretted it because it was so financially um, challenging for me. And so I feel like, eh, what would I have really missed if I would have worked like part-time or something? Now, people who are working, you know, 16-hour days, yeah, that's true. They're going to be missing out. But I think this goes back to life work balance. And if you can do both, you could still enjoy your kids and you can still make money. You just can't go crazy and over the top. Right. And I think that that's the thing, you know, if you can create the balance and, and that's something that I say, you know, look, um, Jackie, you know, a bunch of great therapists that are part of um, your amazing organization, you know, maybe it's time to talk to a therapist just to see generally how you can work on you and what that means with your work and things like that to come up with a plan um, that will work so that you do have time with the kids and your spouse. And guess what? If you work for a big company and you're a big corporate executive, your company's going to pay for the therapy. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. I mean, the cost of that'll be a non-issue regardless, but some people just, you know, obviously a whole different subject for a different day is people look at therapy sometimes with a stigma attached to it in a negative way. Weakness. Like yes. you're weak mm -hmm. right. and it's definitely not, not true. No, not true at all. And, and this is, you know, therapy is a great way just to talk out things and to brainstorm. Um, and it doesn't mean you're tied to anything, you know, nothing's, you know, set in stone or anything like that, but 
Yeah, I just think generally speaking, you know, life is so short. Um, my motto, which is my grandfather's motto, which is the firm's motto, is life is no rehearsal. You only get one shot at this thing. And, you know, you really should try to do the best that you can with getting a work-life balance and and making the best out of life. I can't believe we're almost out of time, but wait, first of all, I want to say that I love your grandfather. And um, I want to ask you one more question. Is it possible for corporate executives in a divorce to solve their case through mediation? I think that any case can be solved through mediation if it's the mediated ability to be a mediated case. And that means, in short, I know that was kind of a lawyer answer, like, of course, it depends. Um, but it really does, because if you have two individuals that are willing to sit down and truly negotiate things in good faith with one another, then it is a case that could be mediated. And that goes for anybody. So what you're saying is that mediation is possible or not possible for anybody and being a corporate executive has no bearing on that. There are some executives that can mediate and some some that can't. Yeah, I mean, I've had cases that I have mediated. Um, one of them being um, being the the CFO of a billion plus dollar hedge fund, um, and he was very clear in that he wanted to make sure that she was financially provided for. And was willing to give her more than what the statute required um, and wanted to do the right thing, which I, I'm a big proponent of as well. Most of the times, if it's a female, that's the other spouse and the male is the executive. At the end of the day, the female is the mother of your children. And, you know, you need to be doing the right thing. I mean, that's just, you should be and you should want to on, on her behalf and also on behalf of the children. Okay. Another benefit of mediation for executives in a company is that your case isn't public. So nobody's going to know that you have this summer home worth $2 million or your business, right? Um, well, yes and no. Any case doesn't have to become part of the public record i.e. what I mean is that you can incorporate the final agreement by reference only. And that's for any single case out there. So you don't file the final agreement with the court. You file what's called the judgment, which is just a brief summary of the statutory requirements. So if, you know, if anybody were to get divorced, executive or not, they could say, I don't want my final agreement to be part of the public record. Um, I think what you're referring to is probably the litigation aspect Correct. of pleading, yes. all of that. like Anyone can come into the courtroom and listen to your ugliness of your divorce. Oh, absolutely. And that, yeah, that, that for sure. I mean, anything that you're litigating, anything that you're putting in pleadings, pleadings are part of the public record. It's a constitutional right that we all have, which is called access to courts. Um, and then that includes, like you're saying, I mean, public um, courts are public forums that are open to the public to come and go as they please. Um, and so you could just walk into a courtroom and you could walk into a Zoom, you know, 
um, and and listen and listen and hear all of the all the things. Tiffany, thank you so much for taking time to do this today. I loved our conversation, and I think you gave some really really good tips and information. Thank you, Jackie. I I absolutely love this. I, I you know I I look forward to it. I looking forward to doing more. I really hope that you know people learn from this and that they're getting some insightful information. I always try to make it uh, the information kind of available and applicable to all people generally um, so that you can kind of get a, a broad understanding of the law and a little bit of tips here and there. Well, loved having you on Tiffany. And I want to tell my listeners, if you want to find Tiffany, or call her for a consultation or work with her. She can be found at thughueslaw.com or in the trusted professional section of Divorced Girls Smiling. And if you wanna find other trusted divorce professionals like therapists, divorce coaches, forensic accountant, a person to sell your ring to, all kinds of wonderful trusted professionals, or if you want to listen to more podcasts or download my mobile app or read more articles or sign up for my free consult, come see me at divorcedgirlsmiling.com. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. We'll talk to you real soon.